Thank you for listening to Prophetic Politics. This is Thabiti Anyabwile. I want to make you aware of something special that's happening and invite you to come. March 5 through 7, 2020, Just Gospel 2020, we'll be having a national conference in Alexandria, Virginia. That's March 5 to 7, 2020, in Alexandria, Virginia, at Delray Baptist Church. Our theme this year is Pilgrim Politics. So if you've been interested to listen to prophetic politics and you've been encouraged by what you've heard in turn, in, in tone, in substance, come to Just Gospel 2020. We're going to be thinking about what it means to be Christians, particularly what it means to be pilgrims who are passing through this world, who have a prophetic political concern for the things that are happening to our neighbors, the things that are happening to our country, uh, and who are trying to think how to bear faithful witness um, in, in, our, in our local situations, in our national situations, and so on. So if you want more of this, more of this conversation, if you feel like this is an area of discipleship where you want to grow, need to grow, uh, as I do, March 5 to 7, 2020, Just Gospel 2020, Pilgrim Politics, Healing Conversations About Christians and Politics in Alexandria, Virginia. Come to our website, justgospelconference.org, justgospelconference.org, and find more information. We'd love to have you there. Hey, we might even tape an episode of Prophetic Politics, and you can join us. God bless you. This is the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez. I'm Thabiti Anyabwile. And I'm Ben Brophy. So we are in a sort of second season of the podcast. Um, thank you so much to all of you who uh, kind of listened and gave us encouraging feedback in the in the first season. Um, and as we kind of approach this second batch of episodes, one thing we're conscious of is that we are um, approaching, although not quite there yet, the um, the 2020 election. Um, at the time this airs, we'll kind of still be in the middle of the Democratic primary for president um, and sort of approaching, you know, kind of w- what promises to be um, this is a very eventful election season in 2020. And so one thing we thought we would do um, just to kind of set the stage for this um, second uh, set of episodes is to basically ask, like, how do we vote? How do you decide how you pick a candidate? How do you pick a president? Um so the only thing I'm going to do, because uh, we do not actually have a script for this episode, <laughs> is kind of lay out some of the things I think you hear out there in the kind of ether about it, but then ask just each of us to kind of bring our own perspectives on what that should look like. So on the one, I, I guess, actually, frankly, it actually just probably breaks down into two big categories. What a philosopher would call a the deontological approach or a utilitarian approach, right? The deontological approach is values-based. It basically asks, what do I think of the person I'm voting for? What kind of person are they? What will they stand for? And can I see them representing me? So when you make arguments about character uh, in your kind of elected officials, uh, about propriety, maybe even about what, you know, what their orientation is toward uh, Jesus Christ, like those all kind of fall into this category of like moral character, sort of the deontological, the principle of who I'm electing matters as much as what the result of my vote will be. The other end of the spectrum, you would have, again, what philosophers would call utilitarian voting or instrumental voting, where I'm asking myself, I care less about kind of who this person is than about what they will do and about what the result of what they do will be 
on the public policies that I care about. Um, interestingly, when you run it through that kind of set of lenses, the so-called single-issue Christian voter that we talked about last season, who kind of says, well, I weigh it all up, and it's millions of lives lost every year to abortion, so it doesn't matter what the other issues are, I have to vote for the pro-life candidate, that is actually a utilitarian instrumental view of voting. And in fact, you could argue that it was a view that prevailed in the last election. If you think about evangelicals and others who said, the Supreme Court matters to me, for many of those, it's the abortion issue on the Supreme Court that matters to me, this guy's going to support, you know, going to appoint the right kind of justice to the Supreme Court. I do not have time to think about what kind of character he has. He will do these things. I will vote for him on that basis, right? Um, whereas on the other hand, you would have those voters who would say, mm, I get that, and I understand the results that could get delivered, but um, I have to be able to vote for somebody that I could imagine, uh, you know, teaching my children or that I could leave alone with my children or whatever else, right? I have to vote for somebody that I would trust in that way in terms of their character. Um, and um, Donald Trump by himself presented a dilemma on that, but you could argue you could have made those arguments about both candidates. Um, but needless to say, there are lots of other theories out there, but those are sort of the two poles of the spectrum that I see when people make arguments for why and how um, they vote for a candidate. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, Ben, how do you think about voting? Yeah, so I sketched this briefly before we did this podcast, and I'm not at all sure how clear it is. Uh, so, like so many things, um, my approach is probably a combination of the two polls that Nick laid out. I don't, I don't think you can be uh, completely principled because there is no candidate other. You know, there, Jesus Christ is not running for president right now what a shame <laughs> though he is the number one uh written in candidate every every election i no. believe well i mean i guess i yeah. i guess i get that he's up there <laughs> written in um so in, in that sense whoever i vote for is going to be compromised morally in some way so then it becomes so there's two there's two kind of factors i'm looking at uh one is okay the moral character of the person i'm voting for is this person um so irreconcilable with uh, my what I believe would be a, a, a man of good moral standing that I, I cannot vote for him or her for that matter so that's one consideration uh, then the second usually um, that doesn't come into play uh, in 2016 it did for different reasons on on both sides um, usually these candidates these politicians as as far as appearance goes are, are relatively clean um i'm not aware of their their intimate personal life so i don't know how flawed they are of course in our day and age that's getting less and less but nevertheless think about it obama versus romney obama versus mccain yeah those Bush were versus Kerry. yep bush versus i mean yeah. we have actually been blessed with several cycles of relatively clean candidates yeah and so as all of those candidates um that you just mentioned no moral objections like as, as far as i'm aware uh, you know in in this day and age with yeah, as far as I am aware, uh, there's there's nothing I saw that was disqualifying from their moral, moral character. So once we get past that first consideration, my second consideration is, okay, where do they stand in the issues? And so I have my rank order of what issues I think are most important to me, and largely for a combination of utilitarian reasons, like, you know, do what do I think is the most good for the most people? Uh and also the likelihood of something happening on that particular issue. So I'll give an example. 
Yeah. Uh, abortion is... That's ex- an important distinction. Right. Abortion is extraordinarily important to me. It is my top issue. Why is that? Because it does affect a, a ridiculously large number of human beings. However, I could see a, a case in which I don't vote for the anti-abortion candidate because there's just zero chance of anything happening on the abortion front that could you know i'm thinking of a hypothetical but it could be mm-hmm. um the supreme court is already 9-0 pro-life justices or you know we've already passed a constitutional amendment banning whatever it is uh sure. th- that there's just nothing that's going to happen on that issue or the candidate has said something like i think i think vice president biden has said something similar along the lines of i personally am not pro-abortion i would not want anybody in my family to have an abortion so my personal belief is this but i will not legislate against a a woman's right to choose and so in that case okay for for this candidate abortion is most likely something's not going to happen here so if that's the case um then it becomes less of a consideration so then i move to my second issue third issue fourth issue how closely does this candidate line up with what I think is the biblical position here, if there is one? If not, um, what I think would be best for the most people in this country? Um, and how likely is it that something's going to happen? And so whoever gets the closest on those two scores, um, that's usually who gets my vote. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> this is really unclear. I legitimately have spent a lot of time looking at campaigns' platforms, uh, mm-hmm. and they're not. They're not super clear. Right. Uh, They're not. There's a lot of pie in the sky, uh, and that's that's what you do. You as president, I will. will. Yes. Dot dot dot. Yeah. And so it is really hard to differentiate signal from noise. And so there is a sense where I'm trying to rationally look through all these things, moral character, all the issues, shake it all up, <laughs> close your eyes, and clench your fists really tight, and say, "Oh, I think I'm voting for this guy." Um, and so despite living in DC and being here for a long time and being, I think relatively well informed, there's a reality. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to pan out. I don't know if this candidate is going to actually make this a priority. Um, for example, the current president, Donald Trump has been pretty aggressive on pro-life justices. I actually had zero expectations in, in 2016 that he was going to do that given his moral character and personal history, there's no way. There's, there's no way this guy cares about this. Now, it, whatever whatever the motivations are, I'm sure it's crass and political. But that surprised me. Not necessarily, actually. Not, it, I mean, just one snippet of a news report I read is that whatever he may have believed in the past, he's actually found true religion on this issue. To the point where he literally buttonholes Democratic senators who are, say, Catholic, for example, like Chris Coons of Delaware, and says, how the heck can you be you know, really? approaching... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so in all seriousness, it, if he has that found, matters to you. If the, he has found Jesus Christ, um, I don't know that. I'm not sure I go that far. Okay. Found right. religion on the issue. Got it. Which is to say, okay. you're you're surrounded by people who are making the pro life argument. You're like, you know what? I believe this too. Which makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I what I would say is, uh, I, th- I thought you were saying he'd legitimately become a Christian. I was like, well, praise God. He found he found not... small R religion okay. <laughs> on this all on right. this one issue. All right. Um, so. Yeah, on, on that surprised me. I really thought he would have no interest in that issue whatsoever. Um, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean he's necessarily earned my vote. I was just surprised. Um, 
conversely, you know, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, um, given the the emphases, the emphasis of their particular campaigns, I think it's fairly unlikely that they are going to really invest a ton of their political capital in pro-choice legislation. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But to me, I think that they're both going to focus on their economic policies pretty intensely. And so there's a glorious democratic socialism, which I'm sure you love. Well, I am less afraid of that than some other candidates who are who are probably really going to fight for, you know, whatever abortion rights or legislation you want. Um, So there that's kind of how I see it. Those two general buckets, moral character. Where do they line up on the issues and what is the importance of those issues in my mind? Um, Imperfect science. uh, That's that's how I approach it. Uh, happy to find an easier way if somebody has one. <laughs> so now I'm looking at Pastor T. Yeah, sure. Just vote Republican. <laughs> well, I, I, my conscience won't let me do that. Uh, <laughs> oh, not, there you go. W- not ever. <laughs> to clarify to the listeners, I uh, have voted Republican. Should, I have voted Democrat. Should, just to be clear, just vote Republican is probably the most commonly used heuristic for voting among Christians in our current like era. Among evangelicals. Yeah. Like no doubt I mean, yes, among among evangelicals. Like like so it is a it is a method of voting, actually. Yeah, that's right. Um that has a great deal of power. Yeah. Right. I mean we we had in the last general, in the last presidential election, we had a very prominent evangelical pastor say effectively, I'm not voting for candidates, I am voting for a biblical worldview. Mm. And and then right. articulate basically a Republican uh platform. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. So, so I, I think for a lot of people, the, the decision gets made: just vote Republican. It's just a a, a version of civic religion. It's, you know, it's mm. um, it's not necessarily uh, come to text, work through text, work through biblical principle, work hard to sort of apply it and to work it out into a position. As much as is, I think this is a good proxy, um, and and that proxy happens to involve a lot of elements. I think of of civil religion. Mm. My uh, exemplar of this is the uh, Wayne Grudem article yeah. endorsing why he was going to vote for Trump in 2016. And yeah. as a guy who knows, I mean, he, he, he covered a range of public policies as to why. Mm-hmm. The one that really got me was he's for school vouchers. Right. And you have to torture the text yeah. to get the idea that school vouchers are like a biblical worldview. Right. They're not anti-biblical, but right. <laughs> there's nothing in there, right, that kind of right. says, oh, yeah, this is the this is the way to do it. Yeah. I found Robert Benny's little book, um, Good and Bad Ways to Think About Religion and Politics, very helpful here uh, as a corrective to the notion that there's a dark, straight line between from sort of our theological position to particular public policy prescriptions. And I think once that gets chastened a bit, uh, it, it, it both challenges us to have to work hard in thinking about these things, mm-hmm. but it also opens up more possibilities. Yeah. When I think about a, a president, um, and this became clearer for me in the last election, uh, I think I'm looking for a shepherd in chief. Hmm. Now I phrase it that way because I I, I I I get my goat every time I see a Christian say, "We're not looking for a pastor in chief. We're looking <laughs> for a, a commander in chief." Well, that's clever rhetorically, but you ask yourself biblically, what should we be looking for in in national leaders and in, in, in um, civic leaders? The metaphor in the scripture is shepherd. Hmm. Well, you read your Old Testament scripture, 
um, when, when the shepherds are addressed in a place like Ezekiel 34, he's not there talking about pastors. New Testament church isn't even in, in view. He's talking about the kings, the governors, the rulers of Israel. He's talking about the political leadership. So the way God designs in a theocratic kingdom like Israel, um, political leadership to function, hmm. it functions like shepherding. So a shepherd has a responsibility mm-hmm. for sort of gathering the whole flock, for uh, protecting the flock, for feeding the flock, for binding up the parts of the flock that are wounded and hurt. Um, now, this is analogous to the character issue in my mind, but it's, it, for me it speaks to character going to function. Um, and so I'm, I'm more and more convinced we actually need shepherds uh, who are shepherding the country. Um, if I'm using Israel as an analogous, uh, as an analogy to this. Um, so when I looked at the last election, for example, I just thought, oh, no, I, I don't think either candidate <laughs> is somebody uh, we need to be cheering for. We're going to hold our nose to vote through this. I respect that people would, would vote differently through that last election. But I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the candidates and thinking, which of these two are going to be better shepherds in terms of trying to in a conventional way predictable way safer way care for various people in the country various issues in the country and so on uh our current president did not pass muster for me Mm. uh and 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 i think that's borne out in the way he's governed uh in, Mm -hmm. in in my opinion um so first i'm looking for a shepherd but again the way the shepherding is framed in a place like Ezekiel 34, for example, binding those who are hurting, leading the sheep, feeding sheep, and so on, it, it brings me to a conviction that I actually need, as best I can, some kind of calculus for weighing multiple issues, right? Mm-hmm. Recognizing that there are multiple ways to work on multiple issues. So this is why mm-hmm. um, sort of single-issue voting at the end of the day isn't compelling for me. Mm-hmm. Abortion is massively important, right? So if, if I'm ranking issues, I'm still probably ranking it number one, but I'm, I'm not sort of walking, as some people do, down to the end of that and saying, okay, this is, this is really the, the litmus test for me. Um, so this, this, this will rule out candidates if they're not pro-life. Yeah. And the reason for that is in part because, number one, I, I have chastened hopes about pinning all our strategies for ending abortion on presidential elections and the appointment of Supreme Court justices. Right, just chase about it. Number two, mm. often those conservative justices are bad on other issues. Yeah. Like civil rights and voting rights and things mm-hmm. of that sort. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure I can make a good argument for that kind of trade-off. Yeah. Well, but and there's no guarantee that they're going to hold that position exactly once they right. get there. I mean, and, and we've seen that on both sides. Justice right. has shifted. That's exactly yeah. right. And then the third thing is, I think I think there's compelling research um, for other ways of reducing abortion, improving the involvement of fathers, improving the economic well-being of mothers. Um, you know, reducing certain risks. Um, so I just don't subsidizing think, mothers. Subsidizing mothers. So I just don't think. We want to put all our eggs in that one political basket of a strategy. Um, and so I'm looking for a shepherd who actually is reasonable, 
who can think through these issues, who will surround him or herself with, with people who can think well through mm. complex issues, uh, and try to shepherd the whole country. Uh, d- two visible examples I think of, one from each kind of party, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I don't think this is all the job you're describing, but I mm-hmm. think is it some of the job? So you think about Obama after the Newtown shooting, mm-hmm. when a bunch of elementary school children were gunned down and right. the whole nation was in shock. Right. And then you think about Bush after 9-11. That's exactly right. And in both of those cases, there was an important visible function of bringing people together mm-hmm. that a leader, a leader at any level, a governor, a mayor, or whatever, but in this case, a president, right. I think has to play. You see, I think we, we implicitly expect that from our leadership. Yeah. But explicitly, at least rhetorically, we reject it. Hmm. And we reject it for, I think, oftentimes sort of partisan motives. So that's the other thing about my voting. I'm, I'm not a partisan. You know, I'm sure yeah. I sound that way to some people on sure. some issues, but I'm not. I'm not, I'm not beholden to party. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking for the best candidate out there. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. to me if they're a Democrat, Republican, or um, Libertarian, or Green Party, whatever. I'm actually looking for the best person, I think, to shepherd the congregation and, and, and the, the country. <laughs> and and that's um, what the two illustrations you gave were the ones mm-hmm. I had in my head as yeah. well. Um, it shows it's not partisan. And it shows that there are those moments um, in the life of the country where that's shepherding is precisely what we need. And I think we need it in more moments than we realize, not just in the tragedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's I think that's well said. Um, before we move on, though, Nick, I do want to hear how you make your voting calculation. If you have a grid, what does it look like? Oh, you know, mine's mine's been a bit of a winding road, right? And so you guys will remember on the first episode of this podcast that we ever did, I talked about sort of the sort of two articles I wrote ahead of the 2016 election because I was wrestling with this a bit um, and how I had sort of come around to maybe I will be a single issue voter, right? Uh and then I made this argument where I said, actually, no, I think here's here's why, despite my misgivings, I think I need to vote for uh, for Hillary Clinton in this next election, right? And actually, most of my argument up to that point was an instrumental utilitarian one, mm-hmm. right? I kind I made the argument that I thought that even the most sort of pro-life of candidates um, was actually not going to accomplish much, and that actually banning abortions wasn't, in my mind, the most effective kind of strategy to to beat this point. I said. That kind of, for me, blunts that aspect of things. And then, of course, there were the other good things that, if not Hillary Clinton, then at least her party was kind of positioned to deliver by dint of where they stood on issues around civil rights and other things like that. And I think seeing this president um, in office for the last three years has caused me to find religion on the character question, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. caused me to understand you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? And I've lived my whole life with maybe in maybe 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 Bill Clinton as an exception I don't know you can make the argument mm. right like you know um but other than that I've lived my whole life under presidents who I would generally say were people of character and people of integrity mm-hmm. it's actually kind of incredible to think about that how many people in human history have lived that many decades of their lives under leaders that they could say that about right um and so I think again you don't know what you've got till it's gone and now you're like wow like that's something that's really uh, missing, so I think like you, there's a there's a mix of things that is starting to come into play for me. Yeah, you you look like you're gonna ask well, me something. A, I have a question. Does yeah. does Jeffrey Epstein change your sense of how many moral figures we've had in power? Now, 
as far as I know, he's not connected to Obama or, or uh, Bush. He is de- deeply connected to both Trump and the Clintons. Yeah. Um, it you know he's connected to George Mitchell, former Senate mm. Majority Leader. He's connected to Bill Richardson, a Democratic yeah. um, uh, candidate for president. Uh, he's connected to obviously the Republican Secretary of something or other. He was when he oh cut, um yeah cut yeah, the yeah. deal in Florida. So. So that to me, right? And so here, here's what. So there's a difference. I think there's a difference between the way I'm calculating and the way both of you are. Mm. I am less um, compelled by the the moral component because I think in my heart of hearts, I think most of them are deeply immoral, and they perhaps put on airs or they're politicians to the general public because mm. that's what has gotten people elected for going on 50 years. Um, if you go back a little bit further, JFK, morally compromised. Nixon, very morally compromised. Sure. So forth and so on. So I'm perhaps jaded. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that with, I think Epstein gives us a little light into that still yeah, is that's there. that's a fair yeah. point. Well, sort of. <laughs> sort of. I, I mean, Here's the problem. You're right that that to run for public office means to curate a, a sort of public yeah. profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a sense in which we don't we don't know the candidates, right? We're not having dinner with them. We're not living next door to them, and so on. Um, so a lot of our electioneering is the is the fabrication of a a public profile. Uh, the best we have are their records, mm-hmm. right? Um, so what that means is sometimes on the other side of the swearing-in ceremony, we find out some things, mm-hmm. right? The, the character comes to light, right? Uh, I don't think that's the voters' fault, right? I think the voters mm-hmm. doing the best they can with the information they have. That's different than the last election and what we knew about both of the candidates, character-wise. Yeah. Uh, we actually had some rather stunning information on both of the characters, mm. uh, the candidates uh, who were running, that that should have been, I think, relevant to the to the character question and how we how we cast our votes. Yeah. that, um, so I, for me, um, one candidate in particular was so repugnant, yeah. morally that I I couldn't in good conscience say this is going to be a good vote. I couldn't even good conscience say that the country is safe in this candidate's hands, yeah. right. So that that's a whole nother level yep. <laughs> than yeah. then we found yeah. out that someone had, you know. Yeah, and I I agree. And I came to similar I came to similar results. Hmm. I'm I'm trying to think more about I'm trying to get it away from twenty sixteen because that's sure. so yeah. obviously sure. sure. He both candidates, but our current president just presents difficulties. Huh. Um yeah. but I from a from the weighing of the where they land on issues and what we think they're gonna achieve versus moral character it does seem there's a little difference that i'm less convinced and i and i am curious to both of you mm-hmm. like given how compromised let's go back 50 years because mm-hmm. i do think you're right president bush president obama by all and, accounts and, and let's be clear nick is only 18 years old so that's those are the only presidencies <laughs> he's known right Very funny. <laughs> uh, only. moral show demonstrated moral leadership moral courage and as and by all accounts are moral in their own lives as far as we know right you go you start pushing beyond that it's it's not as clean it's not yeah. very clean um yeah lbj i mean it's it's lbj 
not not in his personal life, just some of his. Ba- sure, read it. Not great. But, yeah. but it, it's also you're also telling the story of a different time too, where where sort of the the culture around privacy sure is different sure fifty years ago yeah. than it is now. Yeah. Uh, the sort of footprint that people made publicly in terms of yeah. their the personal lives. The press just lives. didn't ask about those That's things. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's just a really different time in that way. So I, I, I concede your point about you look back and go, ooh, <laughs> no, that, that, that's not particularly moral. Yeah, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I concede that point. But I think we're probably in very different cultural times and the rules are different. And, and what concerns me now is that the bar appears lower to me yeah. now. And- than it would have been 50 and I, years and I would ago. just say, Ben, it's it's not just, um, you know, you, we, we can all pick on Trump all we like, but, right. like, I think there are other places where you would see this, right? right. So, like, think about um, uh, think about John Edwards, right? And mm. his his kind of indiscretions only came out after mm-hmm. uh, the fact. Mm. Um, and we were kind of spared that. We all, as a country, we were spared that, right? Mm. Because he was, he was, the, he was a um, candidate for president in 2008 and didn't yeah. win the nomination. Uh, but it turned out later, right, that he had had an affair and had done all sorts of things to cover it up and mm-hmm. had sort of neglected his wife who was dying of breast cancer at the time, mm-hmm. all sorts of bad things. Yep. Right. And, and, um, knowing that about a person matters. Right. I mean, I, I, my contention would be like knowing that about a person matters. Uh, the, um, recent until recently governor of Missouri, Eric Graytons, right. Was sort of considered a rising star in the Republican party until mm-hmm. some stuff came out about, both infidelity and intimidation of the mm. person he was engaging in an affair with, mm-hmm. right? And that it took a while, but the pressure finally forced him to resign, yeah. right? And and, yeah. and and I think it's probably good that he did, right? Like, and, and infidelity is one example, but yeah. but you know, and, and Trump gives us lots of others, right? But I do think it's it's good that we live in an era now where the press does in fact do that vetting, where we do in fact learn these things, and where we hold our public officials accountable for conduct like that. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think one of the great things of the Me Too movement is is on, on these types of sexual assault issues or things of that sort, there is increased accountability. And I think I think that's good. I, I think I'm uh, as you mentioned your example, I thought, OK, well, you could you could swap in Newt Gingrich's name. You could swap. I mean, you, we can all think of a myriad of examples. Mm-hmm. And so, not to be too inside baseball, um, you know, when I was a little bit closer to Capitol Hill and interacted with people who had formerly worked there, I once asked somebody who who would know, uh, okay, you know, so-and-so got busted for adultery. Like, how how common is this? And he's like, oh, it's, it's massive. There are more people who are participating in this type of the yeah. moral behavior than aren't the list of people who yeah. aren't cheating is going to be smaller than one. And so that's when I started to get I hear you. really yeah. jaded and just said, I think most of them are morally compromised and, and therefore how then if that's by and large true, how then do I start to make determinations? And yeah. I still see it all your points about the 2016 no, matters of matters of degree. Right. Mm-hmm. We think about, for example, like in church discipline, we think about sure. sins that are publicly scandalous. Right. Versus kind of less so. Right. Um, you think about obviously you hope the things that are really scandalous come to light and that you kind of sort of address them and, and think about them. Right. Um, well, let me ask you this. What okay. more what moral failings disqualify a candidate for you? Hmm. So I want to think back to something 
you said the media, but there's, there's, I think, a lot of biblical language about defrauding and deceit. Mm. And it may be that for me, all of us do it to an extent, right? Mm -hmm. As sinners, all of us do it to an extent, but how much a way of life is it for you? How much does it like impact your kind of choices, both personal and professional? Because actually, it's funny, you can draw a line between infidelity and sexual assault and sexual abuse through to corruption, bribery, quid pro quos, mm -hmm. things, and, and sort of self-dealing, mm -hmm. right? Those things kind of tend to run together yeah. in people kind of of that sort of character. Yeah. So this idea of like, it does a person have integrity or do they actually act to defraud those around them, those around them and those who voted for them. Yeah. People right? fail in private long before they fail in public. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So types of issues, First Peter 5, 2 and 3, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, mm. we're talking about pastoral ministry, but I think that's a good, all we're getting there are mm. measures of character, mm. right? Or First Timothy chapter 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, slash president, uh, <laughs> governor, city council, <laughs> he desires a noble task. We can say mm. that because Romans 13 says such folks are ministers of God, huh. right? So, again, if you consider the civil servant to be a minister of God, to carry out God's will, to reward the good, to punish the evil, then you have to be thinking about this person's moral character, mm. I think. And I do right? believe that is why in many parliamentary systems, the people who head government agencies are ministers, ministers. of government. I do believe that's a holdover from... You right. love the UK, don't you, Nick? You just love their Canada, system. Canada, the UK, <laughs> Australia, New Zealand, a whole bunch of countries. Oh, he's just named the UK right. three different that's ways, right. right? Oh, my goodness. So, but just, but let me yeah, just keep reading good. Timothy here. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, right? so has to have a good reputation, not blameworthy, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping mm -hmm. his children submissive. Mm -hmm. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? How will he run a whole country? He must not be a recent convert. Da, da, da. So all those things that are listed there are not like superhero qualities, mm. right? It, it, they are marks of maturity. So this is, again, why I kind of, it gets my goat when Christians toss this out. So that's pastors, has nothing to do with sort of civil authority. It's like, well, okay, I get it on one hand. We, we, we think Christians ought to behave better and ought to be marked by these things. Mm. I get that. But it seems to me to be throwing the baby out with the bath. Well, you know, when you sort of jettison this as, as an easy measure of or response to your question, what, yeah. what moral things are deal breakers? Yeah. I would say the things that the Bible makes deal breakers for shepherds be deal breakers for shepherds, which are, which are political leaders. So that's that's compelling, and I think if the if we were to compile what is the biblical view of leadership, it looks like that. Mm -hmm. So then, as you're stewarding your vote, do you look for the candidate who most closely adheres to those? 
Or do you say, if you fail at any of these points, you're out? Yeah, I, I would say both. Okay. Right? So there's there's opting in and opting out, right? So I would say, yeah, we're looking for people whose lives are marked by this kind of maturity, right? Uh, and if anyone shows a character level deficiency in these things, so so not that they got mad one time, right? But this, they seem to be brawlers. Uh, they seem to be domineering as a character trait. Then, yeah, I think you're disqualified, hmm. right? Um, and and I think the Christian is wise to look elsewhere. And and I'm I'm not so pessimistic as some who think that such persons aren't out there in government. I I just don't I don't think that's true. I don't think these things are in such rare supply that is not reasonable for us to expect it as best as we're able in, in a, in a culture that curates image and all that good stuff, even more to expect it. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I just don't think that such rare supply. I just think that, I just think the electorate doesn't demand it. My, my, my just, I mean, to say, to add to that, right. As you all know, my day job involves working with people in government a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it involves working with people who are elected, appointed, and then just civil servants in general. And I'll, and I'll second that, mm -hmm. right? Like, of course, we're all sinners, and of course, we're all imperfect. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people in public service, um, the vast majority, right, kind of went in because they wanted to make a difference, whether they were Christians or not. Right. Uh, and because they um, felt that these values mattered. Mm -hmm. um, and sure, some fall by the wayside, some get it wrong. Um, but, and, yeah. and some get dirty along the way, right. right? So to be in this environment, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're swimming through a lot of toxicity, mm -hmm. right? You're swimming through a lot of soul-destroying temptation, yes. right? Um, so some folks, you know, to your point, I think start off well and we mm -hmm. they reach a certain level of prominence. And, and the pessimist in me can kind of assume, okay, I know, they, I know they're cricket somewhere, right? Because <laughs> you don't reach that level mm -hmm. without having to make some compromises that seem... Uh, pretty hard to justify. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think those servants are out there and praise God for them um, and uh, pray that we would find a way to raise their profile and identify them more effectively mm -hmm. and support them in that way. Yeah. So um, as we kind of draw towards the end of this time, any kind of practical advice for Christians as we head into this election season, what should we listen for? What should we kind of say to our brothers and sisters about kind of what to look for? What are some things we can do that would sort of contribute um, in a positive way towards us kind of shepherding our votes in the right way? Um, well, I'm of, I'm of two minds. Um, one, I think the most important, well, I don't know about most important. I think an important thing for Christians to consider as they move into the 2020 election is is to consider their first allegiance to the kingdom of God and mm -hmm. not to the kingdom of this world. And mm -hmm. so one of the ways that plays itself out is within relationship to your fellow brothers and sister at your sisters at your local church, right? Like I got a little taste and I know y'all got more of a taste um, of the election really dividing mm. local bodies. And still I think there's, you yeah. just pop online and you see, you, you see scars. People, mm. people are mad, um, and I think that the, the, some of that pain is is 
is right and, and fair. Some of it is putting too much hope in the princes of this world and mm. not uh, mm. in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think we just really need to be reminded of our primary allegiance uh, to to God's kingdom and not this one. Um, mm. And then secondly, as so that's that's horizontally in relationship to, to your fellow believer. Um, this this election shouldn't should not end relationships. Um, the the thing I would say in terms of stewarding your your vote. Um, I mean, I think this conversation is good for me. It's good to good to think through. I, I would challenge Christians to see it as a stewardship issue. Um, this is an immense privilege. Um, being able to vote is not. You know, we've talked about this several times, but it's just not something that everybody has throughout history or throughout the world. And so it's it's a privilege, and God has given it to you. So so think well and hard about. Uh, how you think you should vote and and I and be willing to try and be winsome to your brothers and sisters about that. I think that's perfectly appropriate to say like I'm going to try to convince Nick that the government shouldn't spend so much money and he's going to try to convince me that it should. Uh, and I so much money. I mean so, <laughs> so much. much. Just just tons. We're just going to print more money until there's enough. Um, so I I think that's good. There's I think when we start saying topics are off the table for Christians, that's that's scary and sh- and, and shouldn't be. Those, those are my the two things that came to mind for me. Mm. Those are good things, brother. Um, so yeah, our primary loyalty is to the kingdom. The United States is not the kingdom. Um, I, I like the second point you were making. I do think as we steward our votes, we should not just steward our votes as representing our individual perspective we should try to steward our votes as representative of our local church. And what I mean by that is the diverse peoples in your local church. Mm. So when you vote, can you also vote for your brothers and sisters, right? So what should come into the scope of concern is not just what I'm thinking about personally. Uh, I should count others as more significant as myself. I should look out for the interests of others as well as my own, right, Philippians 2. Um, so that vote should not be about me exclusively. It should be about we, mm-hmm. right? So this means if you're in a church of any diversity, right, you're going to have to think through the sort of complex issues of that diversity and how you represent it in your vote. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is uh, what I've been saying here. Don't throw away your Bible, mm-hmm. right? Um, keep going back to your Bible and assume that what God has given us in the Bible is is meant to be normative. It, it's meant to norm our thinking. It's meant to norm our aspirations. Um, and uh, there may be places where it doesn't map over easily or one-to-one. Mm. So I realize that what you're looking for in a pastor is at some places different than what you're looking for in a civil leader. But don't throw that out as a good marker or definition of character, for example. Um, So use your Bibles and don't toss them aside and understand that the Bible is meant to be speaking to the good life. And that's what we should press toward, even in our political lives. Yeah, I think one of my kind of most mind-bending takeaways actually is is what you said about the shepherd and about how you can read (laughs) 
the qualifications for elders into the qualifications for civic leaders without saying we're electing a pastor in chief, without mm-hmm. saying we're electing a Christian in chief. Um, and that's a good guideline for mm-hmm. how a Christian should think about character. And of course, balancing the scale, we need to think about results and efficacy as well. Yeah, amen. I have a couple of other thoughts. One would be to your point, Ben, about the church is I would find it really hard to label almost any voting behavior in my lifetime, I think, as a as a sin explicitly, right? Like you sinned by voting for that person, right? I think it, it would it'd be hard for me to find one where I can categorically say, yep. I mean, maybe intention in your heart and everything kind of leads to that, that sort of thing. But in terms of the actual act itself, right? And that includes voting for the current president, right? I think it's ill-advised. I think there's a lot of things that were bad that came out of it, right? Um, but especially given that I'm pretty sure most people in their hearts thought they were doing the right thing when they voted for whomever they voted for, right? Like that actually does count for something. Um, I think that given that, it's important for us to say that like there are different, as we said at the beginning of this episode, reasons why we, that we can give for why we vote, right? And that we actually need to respect kind of where people are coming from in terms of the reasons that they give because those are actually matters of conscience. The single issue utilitarian approach, though it may not be the approach I'm taking right now, is an approach I've come to respect mm-hmm. and to understand. Amen. Right? Amen. Um, likewise, this the kind of character-driven approach, right? Even if the consequences immediately are not the ones you wanted politically, is also worthy of respect. I think what that means is we need to extend grace to one another as we explain why we voted and as we listen to others explain why they voted um, the way that they did. Um, and I think that so we can at least be the vanguard of saying, I'm not going to automatically prejudge the kind of person you are based on who you voted for. Right. That's really, really important because different people brought different reasons to their votes. Right. Like, I mean, you know, to take the Trump example, it's like, yeah, there might be some explicitly racist person out there who said, yep, I voted for this guy because he seems like the candidate that, you know, is most aligned with my views. But I guarantee you that there is an evangelical Christian somewhere who said, I think this person's the one who's going to protect life. And that's why I voted for him, right? And I think we need to be able to parse those two things out and to be able to not automatically slap a label on someone because they voted. I mean, the same thing goes for you voted for Hillary Clinton. Actually, that, that's that's the other thing. You voted for corruption. You voted for emails. You voted for whatever, whatever sort of you want to put on the list. And I think that leads me to another point, which is, and I actually made this point in that post I wrote long ago, um, Voting isn't a 100% seal of approval on everything that person ever has done and ever will do. That's actually one of the most insidious things in our politics Mm. is this idea that we need to sort of tell a story about how the candidate we voted for is perfect. It is is a common theme among partisans to sort of hero worship whoever their nominee Mm. is for Mm -hmm. any office, Mm -hmm. right? As Christians, we, we have to fight against that. Mm-hmm. We have to, not, you know, you can say that you can have the jaded version of it, right? Mm-hmm. But the realistic version, like this person's better than the alternatives. I like them for these reasons. Here are the things I don't like. I expect they're going to screw mm-hmm. up, right? And when they do, I will not be afraid to say so. It won't be an attack on my identity mm-hmm. <laughs> to say that the person mm-hmm. I voted for messed up, right. right? Those are all like, I think, really important ways we can be countercultural as Christians um, in the way that we vote. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about the 2020 election. Lord willing, if we, if people are still listening in mid-2020 when 
another season of this show is dropped, mm-hmm. um, then we'll probably talk about it again. But for now, um, Thibi, you want to go ahead and close us in prayer? Mm. Father, we thank you that you have ordained government. We praise you that you have instructed us in your word to submit to the governing authorities. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that they are uh, rulers um, meant to exercise your will in rewarding good and punishing evil, that you've given them the sword and not in vain. We stagger at the thought that if we resist the authorities, we actually resist you. So we plead with you, Lord, give us righteous rulers. Give us rulers who are better than we deserve, who lead us higher into uh, nobility and character, decency and truth. Uh, Give us leaders, Lord, who uh, have Solomonic wisdom, who are able to parse the very difficult things, matters of the heart, and who are able to distinguish from fraudulent claims and uh, righteous ones and who are able, O oh Lord, um, to choose the righteous and to withstand temptation. You instruct us in our word, in your word to uh, pray for those who are in authority over us, and so we do. We pray for President Trump. Lord, we thank you for him. He's made in your image and your likeness. Uh, we do trust that you are using him, sometimes in ways that we can't discern, sometimes in ways that seem clear. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would save him if he's not already yours, that you would grant him repentance and faith in Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And we pray, O oh Lord, that he would work out his salvation in fear and trembling. We pray, O oh Lord, for those who are around him in his cabinet and uh, executive posts. And we pray for uh, Congress. We pray for elected leaders at the state level and the local level. We ask, O oh Lord, again, that you would Um, cause righteousness to reign through their leadership and that you would use them, O Lord, to uphold justice. We we thank you, Lord, that we live in this country, in this democracy. This is a a blessing of providence. Uh, We remember brothers and sisters who live elsewhere, uh, who live under dictatorships and tyrants, who are persecuted for their faith. Help us to use our votes, O Lord, to remember them, Uh, in things like religious freedom and an end to persecution. Uh, Grant, O Lord, that we would advocate not just for ourselves, but for all the family of God and indeed for uh, all who are made in your image. Lord, free us from selfishness. And uh, grant, O Lord, that uh, we would be generous and large-hearted and sacrificial just as Christ was on the cross. And uh, help us to do it with hope knowing that Christ was raised and is coming again, and that it's to your kingdom that we are headed. We thank you, Lord, for this time, and pray that you would use it to bless your people uh, and use your people to bless the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.